I pastored for 12 years in the Scottish Highlands in two communities that were in the midst of a lot of farming and smallholding. And most of the people in my congregation had sheep or knew people who had sheep or lived beside people who had sheep. There were, there were sheep everywhere. Sometimes they were in the fields. Oftentimes they were on the roads or in my yard. But it was a, a common everyday occurrence. Sometimes I would look out my study window and um, right beside me, like no further away than that microphone, there were sheep. Sometimes at night, I would see their uh, bright green glowing eyes staring at me in my study. And therefore, whenever I preached on shepherding and sheep, it, there was an instant understanding of what this biblical model of leadership entailed. People just knew. Some, most of the time that was good. Sometimes it wasn't so good because I was a city boy uh, trying to teach shepherds how to be a shepherd and uh, what sheep are like. But over time, I think we came to some understanding that I wasn't completely ignorant uh, and that there was some, something I could help them learn, at least spiritually, about shepherding and sheep. But when I, I come here to West Michigan, uh, I found obviously, we're a very different community. Maybe some decades ago, there might have been some widespread understanding of sheep and shepherding, but not today. There might be a handful of people here with some sheep, but most of us, we don't have sheep. We don't see sheep. We don't know anything about sheep. We're not shepherds. We don't know shepherds. And, and therefore, when we come to this biblical model of leadership and the biblical model of what it means to live a Christian life as a sheep, it's, it's not something that clicks. We, we lack a lot of the knowledge of just ordinary sheep and shepherding so that we can understand what it means to be a spiritual sheep and a spiritual shepherd. We also have the challenge in our culture of a, a very individualistic society, don't we? We, we, we don't like anyone telling us what we should do. We don't like accountability. We don't like having any kind of authority over us, maybe especially here in America. And therefore, the idea of having a shepherd and me being a sheep, yeah, we're not very comfortable with that. We have a, an additional problem of many shepherds, as has been well documented in the media, being abusive towards the sheep. Pastors, elders who have abused their positions or have not understood their positions as a shepherd, and therefore sheep have been hurt. And sheep who have been hurt by a shepherd don't really want a shepherd again. So, we have a number of challenges facing us as we think about what it means to have a shepherd or be a shepherd, be a sheep. And therefore, I thought it was appropriate for us to ask this question today. How can we be better sheep and better shepherds? Because all of us here are either shepherds or sheep. And as we'll see, even the shepherds are sheep as well. And it, it, might, it might be we think, well, you know, we don't live in this kind of sheep society anymore. Can we not just dispense with this? But 
God has seen fit to lace the whole of Scripture with this imagery. It's the most pervasive image for how He wants us to view ourselves and our spiritual leaders. And therefore, we can't just set it aside and go to some other model, whether it's a CEO or some kind of marketing leadership or whatever people are trying these days. We need to recover this model of shepherding and being sheep. And old shepherds need this. People have been shepherds for a long time, elders for a long time, pastors for a long time, because we need to be reminded. We can easily slip into a worldly model of leadership. New shepherds need this because we need to learn. Also, old sheep need to be reminded we are still sheep. We never graduate from being sheep. And of course, new sheep need to learn what it means to be a sheep. And especially with the growth in our congregation, it's important for us all to understand our roles, our relationships, and our responsibilities so that we can maintain unity, harmony, and understanding of one another. And obviously, ultimately, we want to be better sheep and better shepherds. And that's why I want to ask this question and try and answer it using this passage today. How can we be better shepherds and better sheep? The person writing this is Peter, of course. Some of the last words that Jesus spoke to Peter are in John 21, where He said to him three times, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my lambs. And Peter's done this. And now, at the end of his life, as he writes his letter to the churches that he shepherded, he's seeking to raise up more shepherds and communicate to them their responsibilities, their roles, and also help the sheep understand their relationship to the shepherds. So, he says here at the beginning, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. This is, a, this is an instruction that's given not just to pastors, but to elders. Both are viewed as shepherds. The pastors have an additional function of teaching, but all pastors and elders are shepherds who are to shepherd the flock of God. So, how can we be better sheep? Well, the first thing is that we just understand that we are sheep, especially that we are straying sheep. As I said to the children, this is probably what sheep are best known for, getting lost, going astray, losing their way. Again, if you had any time spent in a farming community. You'll know this. It doesn't really matter how well shepherds make fences or designate fields. Sheep will go astray. And that's, that's why Isaiah uses this imagery. All we like sheep have gone astray. It's why Jesus uses this imagery when He talks about the, the sheep that was lost in Luke 15. But that's not the only reason why Jesus and the apostles want us to understand that we are sheep who easily go astray. Sheep, if you get to know them at all, you'll know they are they're not the wisest of animals. They are, they're foolish. 
They, if you were to grade them on a, an animal IQ level, they'd be really near the bottom. They, they seem to be really lacking in just common sense. They, they seem to be so irrational. They're foolish. And they're very slow to learn. I've seen a sheep get caught in barbed wire one day, the shepherd having to come and disentangle it and separate it and free it. And where's the sheep the very next day? Back in the barbed wire again. They're really slow to learn their lessons. They're also, and apologies to shepherds here, but they're not very attractive animals. Maybe initially when they're born, these little lambs can look really cute, but, but as they grow, they just, they just aren't that nice, are they? They, they? they kind of look awkward and clumsy. If you get close up to them, you'll see they're often just matted with dirt and mud. They smell. They, their sound is so grating on the ear as they baa. They're just not that appealing. They're not that attractive. And, and they're stubborn. I have a sheep in my yard in Scotland, and trying to get that sheep back out, it would be easier to move an elephant. They, they just will not go. You think you've got them, you, they're almost out the, the gate, and they turn, and they run at you, and they run you over like they're a Sherman tank. They are stubborn, and they are strong. And, and they're copycats. If you, if you ever look at a field, you'll see sometimes a, a, a flock of sheep running. And you look around and you think, well, what, what are they running for? If you were to ask the, the sheep at the back, why are you running? It would say, well, because he was running. And if you ask him, he'll say, well, she was running. And you go all the way along until you came right to the front of the, the running sheep. And you'd ask the first one, why are you running? And he would just say, I don't know. They just copy one another with no sense or reason behind it. And they're extremely dependent. A lot of animals can survive on their own, but not sheep. Maybe when there's grass there, but when the snow falls, they're, 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 they're going to die unless they have a shepherd that, that comes and feeds them. And therefore, they are extremely dependent. They are not animals that can live without a shepherd. So do you see, I hope as I've gone through these different characteristics of sheep, why God calls us spiritually sheep? It's, it's a really suitable model, isn't it? We are foolish. We are slow to learn. We are not spiritually attractive, however physically attractive we might be. We, we do go astray. We are stubborn. We are incredibly copycat-like, aren't we? We follow the masses. We're very dependent. We're really stubborn. We are sheep, straying sheep. And, and just in case you think that I, as a shepherd, or the other pastors and elders who are shepherds here are, are better, like you, you, one day comes when you stop being a sheep and you start being a shepherd. No, no, no. Shepherds remain sheep. However long they've been shepherding, they remain sheep themselves. That also need shepherding. And therefore, none of us can escape this model, however much we might want to. So, 
I think we, we begin by just confessing. I'm a sheep. That, that's, that's, that's me. This is an incredibly accurate picture of me spiritually. I may be very successful and independent in, in other areas of life, but, but not spiritually. Spiritually, I am a sheep, just like everyone else that needs a shepherd. And, you know, you, you wish you maybe. Why didn't God compare us to, you know, I know, a more, a, a more popular animal, a more attractive, maybe a horse, a beautiful stallion or a mare, or, or maybe one of these beautiful birds that have all different kinds of colors, or yeah, maybe a steelhead fish. Just, but no, we're sheep, and, and you just have to say, well, God knows best. And we put our hands up and say, I am a sheep, and God wants me to see myself as a sheep, and I remain a sheep. And if we can keep that mentality, that mindset, that self-view, our spiritual lives will go a lot better, and it will be much easier for our shepherds to shepherd us as well. So, let's confess we're sheep, and let's pray for a shepherd, for, for our shepherds here in the congregation, pastors and elders, who God has called to, to help us spiritually, lead us, guide us, feed us, but also pray for the greatest shepherd of all, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, as Peter puts it here in verse 4. Speaking of Jesus, the sheep and the shepherds need a chief shepherd, a great shepherd, a good shepherd, someone who will not only look for the sheep, find the sheep, put the sheep on his shoulders, carry them all the way home, feed them, teach them, mend them, but even save them, even lay down his life for the sheep. And that's what we need above all. We need the Lord Jesus as our shepherd. Sheep need shepherds. And on a congregational level, sheep need shepherds who are also and always sheep themselves. So that's how we can be better sheep. How can we be better shepherds? How does a sheep like shepherd shepherd sheep? Well, we need strong shepherds. We need strong shepherds. This is the, the great focus of this passage. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And we want to look here at the shepherd's actions, first of all. What's involved in this shepherding of the sheep? Let's try and understand what the shepherds God has appointed for us do in our lives. The first thing a shepherd must do is mix. He must mix with the flock. You'll, you'll see in these farming communities, the shepherd is always among his sheep. He doesn't distance himself from them. He doesn't view himself as apart or detached or above, but is always among his sheep, mixing. Why? To get to know them, to know each individual sheep their names, their characteristics, their strengths, their weaknesses. Each one is unique. I would look at a, 
a field of even just 10 sheep, and they would all look exactly the same to me. I couldn't tell you one from another. The shepherd would come, and he would say, that's Josie, that's Harry, that's Fred. They would know all their names and be able to tell you something about their characteristics as well. A good shepherd mixes, knows his sheep, and he gathers them. He goes out after them if they're missing. He finds out, where have they gone? Can we bring them back? How can we look after them? He mixes, he knows, he gathers, and he carries them. Sometimes they fall. Sometimes they are weak. Sometimes they are aging. Sometimes they have stumbled into temptation. The shepherd doesn't give up on that sheep. No. That's the very time when he gives them extra special attention. He carries them. He lifts them up. And, and he leads the sheep. The, the shepherd directs the sheep. He, he goes in front. As it says here, they are to be examples to the flock. They are to be there as people to follow, people that are to lead the sheep, deciding where do we go? What do we eat? What season of life is it? What are the particular needs of this sheep at this time? And that leads to feeding, which involves spiritual food. And therefore, the shepherds of the congregation, one of their greatest responsibilities is making sure good food comes from this pulpit. That's why I answer to my fellow shepherds. They also make sure what's taught in our Sunday schools and catechism classes, our small groups, our Bible studies, that it's all in accordance with the Word of God. They have this big responsibility to make sure the sheep are fed good, healthy, nourishing, strengthening food. They're also to, to guard. A shepherd, one of his big roles is to put his arms around the flock and, and fend off dangers to the flock, looking for trends, looking for cultural patterns, looking for what is infiltrating, and so warning the flock and helping the flock look out and sheltering them from wrong doctrine, wrong ethics. It's not love for a shepherd to see a danger and ignore it but rather to blow the trumpet, to point at it and say, sheep, beware, watch out. Don't, don't, don't put yourself in this place or with this person or this movement. So, they guard the sheep. They teach the sheep. They rebuke the sheep sometimes. Sometimes, if, if that sheep gets caught in the barbed wire once, he might pull them out gently. Second time, he might still be gentle. But a third and a fourth and a fifth time, eventually the shepherd takes his rod out and disciplines the sheep. Now, we don't do that physically, of course, but we have church discipline. We have means of helping a sheep understand the seriousness, perhaps, of their sins, of their moral choices, and so emphasizing to them the great danger they may be in if they continue along this pattern of life. There's rebuke, but there's also healing. A shepherd will take sheep now and again and take thorns and insects and bugs out of their, out of their fleece. He'll pour oil into their wounds. He'll just comfort and assure the sheep of his love. The shepherd has 
multiple tasks. When Peter says here, shepherd the flock of God, you'll see there are many, many actions involved in being a shepherd. But there also, there's a shepherd's attitude as well. That's what Peter goes on to speak about here. So, for example, in verse 2, he says, exercising oversight. So, this leadership, this looking over of the flock, this leadership position. What's the attitude with which they shepherd the flock? Well, we're told three things here. Negatively, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So, this is not someone that's forced into this. We don't want shepherds who don't want to shepherd. We want shepherds who do this eagerly, enthusiastically, with energy and excitement that they get to shepherd sheep. And so he says here, not under compulsion, not because you have to, but because you want to. That's one of the characteristics we look for when we're choosing shepherds. Secondly, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So, he's saying we don't do this for money. We don't do this to make a financial profit or some kind of a positional promotion, but we do it for the sheep's profit, for the sheep's promotion, and the sheep's good. And then the third negative here is not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This goes back to what I said earlier about abusive shepherds. Many shepherds in churches have abandoned true shepherding and have become tyrants, dictators. Instead of leading by example, they lead by force, by abuse, by threat, by malign and malicious means. They're earning. They, they, they're They're demanding respect rather than earning respect. So, here's a shepherd's attitude. Not force, but a volunteer. Not for gain, but the sheep's gain. And not as a dictator, but as a servant. And then there's the shepherd's assessment. His actions, his attitude, and the assessment. Because we're reminded here in verse 4 that every shepherd will one day give an account to the great shepherd of the sheep. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is assuming that the elder has followed these actions and done it in this attitude. Their assessment will be a tremendous reward. So, here, every under-shepherd must always remember… I'm going to give an account for how well I have represented the great, the good, and the chief shepherd, not for their salvation. Peter doesn't stake his salvation on his shepherding. He stakes his whole salvation on the shepherd, the chief shepherd. But Peter's saying his reward in heaven is related to his rule here below. And then the sheep are reminded that there's accountability for them too, because he says in verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Do you see, really, Peter, like Paul, like Jesus, covers everything with the umbrella of humility. Everything he's saying will be solved if the sheep approach this humbly and the shepherds approach this humbly. So, here's a shepherd. Therefore, let's choose good shepherds. When we get to nominate and vote for shepherds, let's keep these characteristics, these actions, these attitudes in mind. And, and let's get to know our shepherds. Every single person here has a shepherd, an elder, who is responsible for them. If you don't know who that is, you should get to know and, and use them. Ask them to shepherd you. Ask them to help you spiritually. Don't wait for a crisis or a problem. Go to your shepherd and say, hey, I'd love, to, I'd love to grow in this grace. I'd love to grow in this gift. I'd love to grow in this area of knowledge. I'd love to grow in this area of service. Shepherds love sheep to come to them, to be discipled, to be made better sheep, maybe even to be made into shepherds themselves. And so our elders and pastors are the same. And when they come to you to ask questions, to see how they're doing, how you're doing, welcome that. It's, it's not some kind of controlling, it's shepherding, it's loving, heartfelt concern for your spiritual welfare. So, receive it. Share your burdens with them, share your fears, share your hopes. Submit to that shepherd so long as they submit to the chief shepherd. So, we ask, how can we be better sheep and better shepherds. After looking at this passage, we can say the biblical answer is follow the roles, relationships, and responsibilities of both shepherds and sheep as they both follow the chief shepherd. I want to show you something else here, though. Hopefully, you can see this. What happens practically on the ground, down to earth, when you have a need? Okay, so here we have need over on the left-hand side. It might be a bereavement. It might be a hospitalization. Whatever the problem is, you have two options. You can contact your elder or contact the office. Whoever you contact will, unless you say otherwise, share it with the other the elder will notify the office. The office will notify the elder. Every lunchtime, Monday to Friday, we all meet as pastors and staff to make sure we've got all the needs together of our congregation, unless, again, you've asked for confidentiality. And at that point, we triage. We delegate responsibility so that no one falls through the cracks. And the result of that will be that the elder or a pastor will be given the responsibility to shepherd you through the difficulty, through the need. Sometimes, if it's especially serious, the elder and the pastor will be involved. But normally, the elder would be the constant in your life. And when it goes to that elder he has a choice to either shepherd you directly, or there may be under him some retired elders 
that he can ask to shepherd you. Because at the moment, our elders have long lists of people they cannot do all themselves. And so they might ask other experienced elders to help out. Or a small group leader, that's what SGL means. Some of you have good shepherds as your small group leaders. Perhaps they can have a role. But all will be communicating to the elder who will be communicating back to the office. But what if it's a pastor? What if the need is so great that a pastor either needs to be the only one involved or more usually partnering with the elder? Well, we've tried to divide up the responsibilities according to age. You should all have this booklet, A Guide to Congregational Care and Counseling. And this is really summarized here. Uh, up to 18-ish, Josh can be a great help, obviously working connection with parents as well. Then from about 18 to, I think it's 40, Pastor John will be your main contact. And then from about 40 to 70, it'll be myself. And then 70 and above, Richard, Pastor Richard. And this is a big group, so he also uses elders and others to help him. Pastor Ken is a small group leader and also has some pastoral responsibilities. And if you're in need of counseling, you will come to me. I'll meet with you at least once, maybe twice. Maybe I'll decide in rare cases to be your counselor. But most cases, I'll delegate. I'll hear your story. I'll try and understand what's going on. And I'll try and pick the best counselor I know for your needs, who will keep me updated so that we work together in partnership. So I hope this helps you understand how we're trying to put 1 Peter 5 into practice. We don't get this right all the time. We're still learning how to shepherd such a large flock with such great needs. But at least at the moment, this is the model we're trying to follow as we try to put 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, into practice. And therefore, I would ask you, sheep, follow your shepherds. Again, insofar as they follow the shepherd. But your default should be follow. Shepherds feed the sheep. Your default should be, how can I feed? How can I nourish? How can I strengthen each sheep of my flock? And in this way, we will stay united. We will stay under the great shepherd. Lost sheep will be saved. Existing sheep will be well shepherded. Shepherds will be able to give an account at the last day. And the Lord Jesus our great shepherd will be glorified. Let's pray. We confess, Lord, that you are the only perfect shepherd. You are our chief shepherd. We are all your sheep. Therefore, shepherd us all directly and through our under-shepherds so that we are all gathered safely into your fold at the end. In Jesus' name, amen.